Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the throne of grace with Pastor Philip Ransom Bello. I want you to bow down your heads and just say a word of prayer. Say, Lord, speak to me this morning as your Word comes. The Bible says the entrance of His Word gives light and understanding to the simple. Let His Word come with light and revelation to your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's quickly turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5. We're going to read a lot of scriptures this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5. Right? It says, let's start from verse 1, if you don't mind. Let's start from verse 1. But know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. Verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves. uh, Lovers of money. Say yes. Everybody's quiet because... (laughs) I'm going to read it again. For men will be lovers of themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Lovers of money, mm-hmm. boasters, mm-hmm. proud, mm-hmm. blasphemous. I'm not going to wait for you. Disobedience to parents, unthankful, <laughs> unholy. Let's move to the next verse. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Verse 4. Traitors, headstrong. Haughty. What's the meaning of haughty? What's the meaning of the word haughty? Huh? Hot-headed. Headstrong is hot-headed. What's haughty? Proud? Arrogant. In the last days, men are going to be arrogant. Rather than lovers, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Then verse 5. I want us to read verse 5 together. Everyone wants to go. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. From such people what? Turn away. So it's having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Um, let's see second. Do you have the Living Bible? Okay, put up the Living Bible. I like the Living Bible's rendition of this scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Look at it. Just look at it. If you don't have it on the multi, just see it on the multimedia. You may as well know this too, Timothy, that in the last days, it is going to be very difficult to be a Christian. And I, I believe I've been saying that in the last few weeks, that in this coming times, to be identified as a Christian will be a thing of a lot of effort and conviction to stand your ground in the faith in these days. That's the generation that we're in. That's where we're going to right now. Look at verse 2. It says, for people will love only themselves. It's a narcissistic generation where it is all about me, myself, and I. And we are losing the art of sacrifice. We're losing the art of selflessness. We're losing the art of um, being given and loving uh, to one another. It's a selfish generation, themselves and their money. They will be proud and boastful, snaring at God, 
disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them, and thoroughly bad. Verse, <laughs> thoroughly bad. Verse 3. They will be hard-headed and never give in to others. Have you seen people like that before? If their opinion is not taken, then no opinion must be taken. Hard-headed, never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers and will think nothing of immorality. They will be rough and cruel and stare at those who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride and prefer good times to worshiping God. Look at your neighbor and say, the pastor is not talking about you. Or ask your neighbor, is, is he? Is he? <laughs> Verse 5, they will go to church a yes. Going to church is not the problem. They will go to church, but they won't really believe anything they hear. Don't be taken in by people like that. Second Timothy chapter 4, from verse 2 to 5. Let's see the message version. Second Timothy chapter 2, chapter 4, verse 2 to 5. Second Timothy chapter 4, from verse 2 to 5. It says, so proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch. Challenge, warn, and urge your people. Don't ever quit. Just keep it simple. The message of the gospel is simple. And the simplicity of Christ speaks of the fact that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. The, the intention to complicate the gospel so that it appeals to your human senses is out of line within the framework of the simplicity of Christ. So the gospel is simple. The New Testament talks about the simplicity that is found in Christ. Verse 3. Let's see verse 3, the next verse. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching. Are we in that generation now? Are we in those times right now? Where you teach about the tenets of Christ, but people want to hear wisdom. People want to hear logic. As against the teaching of Christ. People want to hear the things that appeal to their emotion and to their senses. And I said to you some weeks ago that if you have two species, for example, that eat the same food. Two different species that eat the same food. It means that there is a compromise of feeding to one of the species. Because a goat and a lion can eat the same thing. A lion will eat a goat. A goat will eat grass. But when goat begins to eat boiled meat, then there is a problem. If what appeals to believers and unbelievers are the same things, then it means there is something wrong with what is being heard. Or there is something wrong with what is being said. So people are going to have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancies. Verse 4, they will turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. Can, can you look at your neighbor and say, don't chase mirages. Now tell yourself, I will choose truth. Verse 5, let's see what he says. 
But you keep your eye on what you are doing. Accept the hard time along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33. Let's see the message version as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33. It says, but don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourselves be poisoned by this anti-resurrection loose talk. For bad company, you know the King James version of the scripture? Evil communication corrupts good manners. And many times, many times we, we thought that evil communication corrupts good manners meant to say that when you are talking filthy, that's when your manners get corrupted. Why is that is true? But that's not the context to which the verse is actually saying. When Paul says evil communication corrupts good manners, he's actually saying that when you give heed to doctrines that are not consistent with the doctrine of Christ, it corrupts your character. So evil communication, and the message version puts it this way, it says the anti-resurrection loose talk. Anything that is not Christ is a loose talk. Anything that is not Jesus, anything that has nothing to do with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is a loose talk. So in this house, we teach people to stay with Christ. Paul said something in Corinthians when he was writing to them. He said, the Jews are seeking a sign. The Greeks are seeking wisdom, but we preach Christ who is both the wisdom and the power of God. So people can attempt to tell you what to preach. That's why, um, that's why any pastor who is lured to preach what the people want to hear for the benefit of keeping the people in church and having their money is missing it because we are to preach Christ. We have a commandment to preach Christ. Paul says, Christ whom we preach teaching and admonishing one another. And when we speak about the preaching of Christ, we're talking about the death of him, his burial, and his resurrection, and the implication of all that to who you are and how you see your life. And that's why this is called the Standpoint Church. That you see your life from the perspective of all that Christ has done. Everything about you is a response to what God has done. In those days, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel will have to act for God to respond. But today, he has acted and we are responding to his love. And that's why the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. Your love for God is a response to his love for you. And in the last few weeks, I've been talking about um, the mind of Christ and how the mind of Christ is connected to the different frameworks that form the individual's personality and life. And I gave you an example of Jesus. And I want you to see something that Jesus had to go through these different frameworks of family, the framework of the society, the framework of the environment, and even the framework of religious people. But there was also a framework of his divine connection with his father and his purpose for life. And there is nobody who is sitting down here that doesn't have a makeup or a conditioning 
that is as a result of where you're coming from. You are actually who you are because of the people you grew up with. You talk the way you talk. You think the way you think. You see things the way you see things because of your parents. Uh, because of your friends. Sometimes it might be connected to your school that you went to. It might have everything to do with your university. It might have everything to do with your, um, your, your relationships. So conditioning is something that happens to you. And the point to know is that it is not drastic. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. If you read it all the way down. It says do not be conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by what? Come on talk to me somebody. By what? By the renewing of your mind. So he says don't be conformed to this world. Your conformity is as a result of the fact that you are exposed to certain things and over the years you become who you are. And I'm teaching this series because it is important that we are transformed. Because if you match, oh glory to God, hallelujah. If you match your purpose and where God wants you to be to where you are coming from, sometimes they don't match. And you need to renew your mind to get yourself ready for where you are going. Because you might have come from a background that doesn't encourage the plans and the purposes of God for your life. But it is your responsibility to renew your mind so that there is actual transformation. Somebody say with me, I will renew my mind. Now it's important that you renew your mind because there is usually no match between family ties, family connect, societal um, influences... Sometimes religious backgrounds from your divine construct and the plans and the purposes that God wants you to fulfill. Jesus was a man who broke out of family construct. And I gave you this example. I told you before that he said to his father, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? I mean his father and his mother. David, the same thing, was sent by his father one day and the father told him, take this cheese cake corn, give it to your brothers who are in the field fighting Goliath. And David did not say, because I am a good boy and I would strictly do what my father has asked me to do, he expanded the scope of his father's instruction and included the mission to which God will have him do for his life. Sometimes you will be in families and your family construct might be in contradistinction to the plans and purposes of God for you. But you must learn how to pull out. Yes, am I talking to somebody? You must learn how to pull out and then allow God lead you once you have clarity on your purpose and your calling for life. I look at the life of Joseph who told his dreams to his brothers. And he said to his brothers that one day I'm going to be like the sun, the moon, the stars will bow down before me. And the brothers hated Joseph because of his dream. But uh, he had to do what God needed him to do. Some of you will come to the place where you just have to do what God would have you do. Now this message is not for you to fight your family or to fight the constructs that are around you, but to have clarity about your purpose and know when to back out and fulfill the plans that God wants you to fulfill. And I bid you Godspeed. If your family doesn't agree with you. I pray that one day they will come around. 
And just like Joseph one day who the brothers of Joseph finally came and he met the brothers and he said to the brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant what you meant for evil for my good. And that's what you're going to say. You know, today we don't understand reconciliation and we don't understand forgiveness. If you watch movies, you see how you have families with a boy who is growing up without a father. And at the end of the movie, the father shows up at the end of the boy's career. Maybe he's at the peak of success. And the boy says to the father, where were you when I was growing up when I needed you? And you see that appeals to the mind, it appeals to the senses. But you see as much as that can uh, be very emotionally luring, that is still not the attitude of Christ. Because some of you will have to rise to that place where you come back to your family who betrayed you. Family who were not nice to you. And you will tell them you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. Are you still here? So I've been talking to you about these different frameworks and you know um, how that you are meant to lift yourself from the conversation of societal expectations. Jesus had um, a life because many of you think that Jesus was entirely spirit and had no relationship with people. He actually did. While he was here on the earth, he had a life. And the reason I know is because the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, isn't this the carpenter's song? Which means that Jesus must have identified with his father as a carpenter and he must have worked in his father's workshop for him to be identified as the carpenter's song. But sometimes societal expectation of you is not really the divine construct that God has for you. Some of the causes you read in school sometimes has no bearing to the purpose and the plans that God has for you. Um, God is interested that you work. But the fact that you have a job doesn't mean you are working yet. And it's important that you must find your work even though you have a job. Your work is your life's purpose. Your work is what you are called to do. Your work is what gives glory to God at the end of the day. Your work is what may, may not be consistent with societal expectation. That's your work. So Jesus, who knew he was the Messiah, would break out someday from the society's norm and from every construct that people have, expectations that people have of him. So the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, I pray that somebody will wake up one day and dare to think differently. Because greatness begins when you can think higher than your normal. That's where greatness starts from. Greatness begins where you begin to... Because conformity is, is, conformity is you being conditioned and the condition that happens over time that is not drastic becomes your normal... And when it becomes your normal, you don't see anything wrong, but you have to lift your eyes above where you are so you can see greater. God said to Abraham, get out of your father's house. Because if I'm going to do anything great with you, you must leave your father's house and see higher and further to where I have called you to go and to be. Let me show you something about David. I'm going to just touch on the society's influence 
on your mind as regarding having the mind of Christ. And then if there was enough time, we would go into the mind of Christ and religion. First Samuel chapter 17. I want to just show you some things. First Samuel chapter 17. Let's read from verse. We're going to read from. Let's start from verse 17. First Samuel chapter 17 verse 17. All right. It says, then Jesus said to his son, David, take now for your brothers and ever of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. Verse 18. And carry these ten cheese to the captain of the thousand and see how your brothers fare. Move to verse 30. Move to verse 30. Then he turned from him. Okay, now you may not have clarity as to who David turned from. So just flip back to verse 28 so you have a good picture. Now Eliab, this is the oldest brother of David. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. Next verse. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? There is always a cause to why you were born. And the moment you begin to live life for a cause that is greater than yourself, you haven't started living yet. You must understand that your essence and your purpose to which God has called you has to be bigger than you. If not, you have not started to dream. If I asked you to write down what you would do with $1 billion and you can't exhaust it, it means you haven't started dreaming right. <laughs> Praise God. I'm just kidding. I'm not kidding. Verse, <laughs> verse 30. Then he turned from him, from his brothers, toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first one did. Look at the next verse. Verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for, for him. That Saul sent for David. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Wow, how old was David here? David was a teenager. You know, the society expected that if anybody was going to pull off this stunt or do this thing, at least not a teenager. You know, people might have looked down on you and think you can't do stuff. But they have failed to realize that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Just let no man's heart fail. I can imagine the audacity of David at the age of maybe 17 standing in front of the king and saying to everybody, let no man's heart fail. So who is the king here? He said, your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. My goodness. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. Even when people who have the most, people who should, people who you look up to, turn you down. People who should be the, the people who should carry you with their words. People who you revere. People who you esteem. When they tell you you can't, it is difficult to believe you can. This is for you are a youth, you're a small boy. 
And he, a man of war from his youth, that is before you were born, he's been fighting. Now for you to understand the structure of, of Goliath, Goliath's hand could crush the skull of a baby. Just his fist. He had six fingers. Goliath had six fingers. And he was about ten foot tall. So, if you add... So, from the ground to where I am, that's how tall Goliath was. How many, how many feet do you think this is? Yeah, the basketball ring. That's actually the height of Goliath. So, I imagine Goliath playing basketball. <laughs> he receives the ball, he just... <laughs> if I, if I'm, I'll just tell him to stay there. All you all should do is just find a way to throw the ball to Goliath. Catch the ball, put. Catch the ball, put. Goliath. <laughs> Goliath was no joke. But a small boy challenged Goliath. There's some of you who don't have experiences for certain mountains that are in front of you. But guess what? Those mountains are going to fall not by virtue of experience. Not by virtue of how. See, it's not by virtue of you being able to have fought for 20, 30 years. You came into Abuja maybe two years ago. Get ready to deliver a mark that looks like you've been here for 30 years. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody here. It's not by, it's not by youth. You know, the Bible says, talking about the woman who had the issue of blood, that she came from behind. There are some people coming from behind. She said to herself that if I may touch the hem of his garment, the overtaker's anointing that they may have gone ahead of you for so long they may, they may have traveled ahead of you they may have been in the job for long they may have been in the business for long they may have the experience but you have the Holy Ghost can I say something to you? can I say something to you? if you don't have all the money you don't have a good family you don't have all the, the right environment if you have the Holy Ghost you have something you do, you do, you do. So, if, so don't think that um, all those things are to your disadvantage that you don't have. If you know you have the blessing, you have it. I told you last Sunday how Jacob ran away from the house when he received the father's blessing. Why did he leave the house? Why did Esau feel cheated? Esau felt cheated because even though the properties were left in the house where Esau was, he felt cheated because... Jacob took something that was intangible that, but will produce those things that were left in the house. And I said to you last Sunday that the blessing produces the blessings. That it is the blessing that you carry. You must understand that the nature of the blessing is it will always produce. The nature of the blessing, it will always produce. The blessed man cannot be broke for too long. The blessed man cannot be out of ideas for too long. It's just a matter of time. You will surface. The Bible speaks of the blessed man in Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor seated in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, that he will meditate what? Day and night. Right? For he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And the Bible says that he's... None of your leaves, I like the way the message version puts it, that you will not lose a leaf. That for every month that comes, you will not lose one leaf. And you will look fresh and productive every month. That's the nature of the blessed man. 
The nature of the blessed man is they can't tell where your wealth is coming from. Because you try, you block the well of Jacob today. You block the well the second time he dug. You can't keep blocking all the time because the moment he lays his hands to touch it, it surely will be blessed. I don't know what you touch. If you touch anything in life, just know that those things are ready to wake up and get blessed. Why? Because a blessed man is touching it. Nothing can die in the hands of Jesus. And for as he is, so are we. If that's your conversation, you know that whatever you lay your hands to do, you are the extension of Jesus. You are the extension of God. So whatever you lay your hands to touch, whatever business you do, it has no choice but to be productive. But guess what? It is as a result of the consciousness of that you carry the blessing. How many people here know that you have the blessing? I don't know if I'm talking to people who are alive and awake this morning. Do you have the blessing? Can you say with me, I have the blessing, I have the blessing. Are you sure you have the blessing? Why do you have the blessing? The Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might rest on the Gentiles. So you and I have received the blessing because of what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. Say with me, say I have the blessing. Alright, now so let's keep reading. See what David said. Go back to the scripture, yeah. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Let's move to the next verse. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth. You are a man of war. Uh, he's a man of war from his youth. Next verse. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, what happened? I went out after it. And struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it. You see, David said, I did this. I, I did this. This is what I did when the lion came. I, when the bear came. I. And he struck it and he killed it. The next verse. Verse 36 says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. Who did it? David. David was telling Saul. He said, this is what I did. This is what I did. He says, I did it. When the lion came, I did it. When the bear came, I did it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. There are some testimonies that God has given you which is a sign of bigger things to come. Now those things are there to prepare your faith. Because if he did it before, he surely can do it again. Now he says, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Now move to verse 37. I want you to see the conversation of David. So whilst David was saying, this is what I did, but see what David here said in verse 37. He says, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the poor. Oh, I thought it was David who said, I. You know, people will look at you and think you are the one. But they will fail to realize that it was God who was working on your inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just whilst you thought it was your strength that gave you that job, just while you thought it was your ability, remember to give him back the glory. Because you know where your strength is coming from. You know where your victory is coming from. David did not take glory to himself. Help me preach to two people. Tell them, don't take this glory to yourself. No, no. Come on, don't take this glory. David said, moreover, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Ooh. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I think about the scripture that says the race is not to the swift, 
Not the battle to the strong. But time and chance happens to them all. If you see people who are delivering their impact and they are making it big, relax because if he's blessing the environment, he's in your neighborhood. If he's blessing your neighbor, he's in your neighborhood, right? And you must understand to always give God back the glory. It wasn't your beauty that gave you the the, the promotion. It wasn't the fact that you were well-dressed. It wasn't the fact that you smelled nice. It wasn't the fact that you had connection. Oh. I've seen people with connection and nothing. You can know all the people and nothing. But you, just with one blink, just with the matter of grace. You know what Paul said? Paul said something. He said, I labor more than all the apostles. Yet, it was not I who was laboring. But it was the grace of God that labored with me. That's what Paul said. That you are able to do stuff. That you have money. That you have the job. That you have a great relationship. That you have a great family. It was the grace of God. There are some people who envy you. But remember to always give God the glory back. Never take the glory to yourself. No man takes this honor to himself. Hallelujah somebody. Because if you look around you. There are over 10,000 people who can do what you do better. So David always knew that the glory. He knew where his victory came from. But I want you to see what Saul did. Saul said to David. Go the Lord be with you. Then look at the next verse. So Saul clothed David with his armor. This is a contradistinction. And he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. How can Saul tell David, go, the Lord be with you, and call him back and say, take my armor? See, it's a picture of where the church is with the society. That you come to church... But the world is calling you, come, take my values. You cannot say the Lord is with me and you fight with Saul's armor. And when Saul found out, uh, when David found out that this thing is not trained, it's not practiced, it doesn't go, it's not in keeping with how I got my victory with the bear. I got my victory with the bear and the lion by depending on him because I knew he was the Lord who delivered me. So when Saul said, go the Lord be with you and take my armor, that's a mixture. And that's what we see in the church today. We see a mixture of having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That there is the look like church, you look like you are a church person because you talk like church, but your mindset is contradistinctive to church and to Christ. Uh, and, and so David is saying, no, I'm not skilled with your armor. Now, I don't have a problem with David wearing an armor, but I have a problem with David wearing Saul's armor. Yeah, because after a while, Saul or David will grow to learn how to fight with sword and spear. But at least the good part is it was his own armor, not Saul's armor. It is time for the church to strip herself from, in quote, Saul's armor. We're not supposed to put on Saul's armor. Saul's armor is the way the the world thinks. It's the mindset of the world. It's the ideals of the world. Listen to me. Because you're going to fight Goliath, you don't have to look like him. You don't have to look like the world just because you are in the world. Jesus said we're here, but we're not of the world. We're here, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
And what that means is that your victory and your reliance is solely on what Christ has done. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying here? So the fact that you are going to battle with the world doesn't mean that you have to look like the world. Doesn't mean that you have to do things like the way they do things. Penetration is not the same thing as conformity. That you are penetrating into the systems doesn't necessarily mean that you must be conformed until you have lost your sense of identity. Now the days where uh, David was going to fight, the, the period where David was going to fight Goliath, uh, David is a Benjamite for your information. And the Benjamites were a group of Israelites. You know, um, Jacob has 12 children, right? So they are the 12 sons of Israel. The Benjamites is one of the sons of Jacob. And the Benjamites were skilled in using the sling. So the, the ability to use the sling wasn't only, um, it wasn't peculiar to David only, but it was peculiar to everybody who was of David's clan. But before um, David met Goliath, some decades before that, there was an annihilation of the Benjamites because the Benjamites had to go through a curse season. So the Benjamites were in hiding during that period. So nobody knew about the use of the sling because the Benjamites were not in the forefront of the matters of the society. Are you following my story? So every other Israelite, the 11 tribes of Israel had their peculiarity of how to use a weapon. But the Benjamites were skilled with stone and sling. And God was hiding them so that he would expose them at a period where the enemy would not know how and what to combat with. Because Goliath was skilled with sword and spear. And he knew how to tackle anyone who had a sword and a spear. But he didn't know how to tackle anyone who had a stone. Sometimes when God is hiding you, he's hiding you because they don't see you coming. They don't see you coming. And that's why the Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Neither has it entered into the hearts of men what God has in store for you. But you know what God is about to do because you are a man of the spirit. You understand. Why? Because even in your time of obscurity is your time for preparation. That he's keeping you in a place where there is, uh, there, there is no clarity as to who you are, as to who you... You're asking how long, how long? Get, get ready, get ready. The center stage is coming for you. The center stage is prepared for you. I don't know who I'm talking to. Am I preaching to you this morning? Am I preaching to you this morning? I said the center stage is waiting for you. Yeah, so in the place of obscurity and in the place of preparation, I want you to know that your hiding is your preparation. And your Goliath is surely going to lift you up, not bring you down. But you must understand that we can't do this thing with Saul's armor. Saul's armor is the way the world thinks. Saul's armor... We're in a generation where we don't understand sacrifice anymore. We live in a generation where we don't understand forgiveness anymore. That's a, you know, it, it's so easy to appeal to the emotion when um, certain things happen to people and they have a legitimate reason not to forgive. And just because the world agrees with it, it is not consistent with the values of Christ. Forgiveness is our conversation. <laughs> Peace is our conversation. The Bible says, be at peace with all men. Even the one who betrayed you. For in the last days, perilous times will come. Men shall be lovers of themselves. 
and, and I read in that scripture, it also says that friends will betray each other. Have you ever been in a place where you had to forgive a friend who betrayed you? But the moment you are brought in front of the conversation of your doing what Christ would do, remember that what you are supposed to do for others, it was done to you as well. Because your ability to forgive doesn't come from yourself. It comes from the fact that you have been forgiven. And the forgiveness that you receive is what you also give to somebody else. We live in a generation where it is all, all about me, myself and I. People are lovers of themselves. That is where we are today. We can't do kingdom work with Saul's armor. If not, we're going to have a form of godliness and the power of God is denied. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 5 verse 39, he says that you search the scriptures for you think in the scriptures you have eternal life, but you don't know that the scriptures are actually pointing you to me. And he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That if you look at him only, that's the source of life. I have people who are so religious. Let me move to religion. <laughs> Putting a, a contrast between the mind of Christ and religion, you can... First of all, what is religion? Religion is an attempt to find God, right? So if they ask you, what religion are you? Someone say, I'm Muslim. Another says, I'm Hindu. Another says, I'm Christian. Christianity is not a religion. Talk to me, somebody. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a life. For he who has the Son has life. That when you received Christ, a life got into you. I asked you a question one day when, when I was preaching. I said, what did you receive when you received Christ? And some of you were looking at me and I answered you back to say that what you received when you received Christ was eternal life. For this is the record that he who has the son has life. So how can you expect that your life should be normal when what you have is eternal life? Your life cannot be normal because you have eternal life. It is religion that has made atheists today. Think about what I'm saying very deeply. There are a lot of people who woke up and said, I don't believe in God anymore. Because the people who they looked up to who believed in God did not live the God life and there was nothing to believe God about. So there was no reason to believe God. Why? Because um, religion was taking its place beyond spirituality. You can be religious and not spiritual. You can be religious and not have revelation. In fact, Jesus came in a construct of a religious setting where there was the, the scribes and there was the Pharisees and there was all of those people. And he was in the days where religion was so thick. And he would say things like this. Um, your fathers say, it is not lawful to do this. But verily, verily, I say unto you. Jesus was countering religion. Now, what I'm going to say to you might be very difficult for some of you to take. But hear this. My definition of religion, my definition of religion is anything that is not Christ, but has a form of godliness. That is religion. Anything that does not uphold the tenets and the values of Christ is religion. So you can be in church for a long time and you don't see Jesus. You are a religious person. Guess what? You may have result 
an impact on that religion, but that doesn't confer the accuracy of what you do. Talk to me, people. Are you all hungry this morning? I was going to give you food right now. I was going to multiply bread right now. Right now. I was going to multiply bread and two fish right now. Right now. I was going to do that right now. I was going to replicate the miracle of Jesus. So I ask again, what is religion? <laughs> you think me, I would ask you, have you eaten? You will hear a resounding yes. <laughs> then the pastor has to perform the miracle. Now I get quick nosh to come feed you guys. Religion is anything that is not Christ. See, prayer can deepen religion that it produces impact and results. That you can be making advance in your relationship with God and you think you are accurate. Meanwhile, you are, you are in absolute error because you have not seen Christ. Oof, God help me. Some of us grew up in homes where our parents were religious but they were devoted. So it's difficult to see um, the error in devotion because devotion is masking the error and you take devotion as the correctness of what they were doing. I told you how my father would suspend someone who bought a brand new Volvo because you can't make heaven. I looked at the DP of one of my friends, and in his, on his DP, I saw, I am teaching you how to make heaven. And when I looked at it, I snapped it. I'm not going to tell you, my friend, and don't look at my... Anyway, you can't, you can't, you can't guess. So I munched it, and a few minutes after he called me, I told him, I said, it's as if you caught me because I was going to have a conversation with you. Now you are teaching people how to make heaven. That was what they told us. Religion told you that when you receive Christ, you now have to work to find your way to heaven. Because narrow is the path. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. That was religion. Because religion will say to you, you can't just find God like that. I told a Muslim woman, I told her, I said, your greatest dilemma is your ability to please God. She said, it's true. And she's doing everything as a Muslim to knock her head on the floor to please God. And I said to her, in my faith, God is already pleased with me. Why? Because he has accepted me in the beloved. So I'm not trying to please God. Religion has taught us that we have to condition the mind of God to bless us. We have to condition God to be for us. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? But before he's for you, you have to be for him. That was religion. Oh, in the New Testament, he's already for me. How do I know he's for me? Because Jesus died. And if I put my faith in Jesus, he's not angry with me anymore. Hey. He's not angry with me anymore. There are people who come to church and they are in constant condemnation. Why? Because religion... We taught the people, it's our fault, it's our fault, it's the fault of we pastors. We taught you that if you don't pray every morning, if you don't read your Bible every morning, if you don't do what is right, 
If you don't um, 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 do all the good things and abstain from the bad things, God, no, let me say it with the preacher's voice, God is angry with you. And then we have, we have a, a product of believers and people who come to church and feel God is angry with them. That when they start to pray, the first thing they do is, Father, forgive me. Is that not the beginning of most of your prayers? Because before, why? The notion of before he answers me, he has to, we have to be in good terms. So, Father, forgive me. You, you know what you want to ask God for. But before you get there, let's get forgiveness out of the way. Father, forgive me for my sin. The ones I've done, knowingly and unknowingly. The ones I've done consciously and unconsciously. Look at you, who are you deceiving? Eh? Thought, words, and actions. See the, see the experienced thought, words, and actions. Forgive me. Father, for, and you know you say it fast. Father, forgive me for the things that I've done knowingly and unknowingly. Thoughts, words, and actions. It just is a flow. Hey, but our sins are forgiven already. Our sins are forgiven. Why? Because forgiveness, this is the gospel. Forgiveness did not come when I asked for it. Forgiveness came to you when he died on the cross. The day you receive forgiveness is when you receive Christ. So the day you receive forgiveness is not when forgiveness was given. The message of the good news, go tell your friends that God is not angry with you. To which that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Not reconciling the church. No, not reconciling believers. But reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing. I'm quoting scripture to you. I'm quoting scripture. Put it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 20. Of verse 19. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. And has committed to us. The, use another version. This King James can be a problem sometimes. Use a different version please. Use a different version. NLT. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message. If you found the message, go tell somebody who thinks God is angry with him. This is the reason why people run away from church. When they should be running to church. Because they feel God is angry with them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Next verse. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. Hey. Verse 21. Glory to God. I still want to see the message version of this after this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. Are you seeing the Bible? So for those of you who are in doubt that your sins are forgiven, I'm telling you on the authority of scripture. That he's not angry with you because of what you think you did. Now the Bible says that God made him, which is Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for you. Look, the reason why condemnation, let me tell you the the, the outcome of condemnation. The outcome of condemnation is that first of all, you would never aspire to the purpose God has for you. Because you don't see yourself any better. Secondly, you will run away from service. You will run away from church. You will run away from service. And at the end of the day, you will, you will be as one who... You, you just feel God doesn't see you right. Meanwhile, God sees you under the cover of his blood. 
Oh, hallelujah. He sees you under the cover of what his son has done for you. Look at the next verse. Okay, show me the message version. Let's look for trouble. Show me the message version, verse 19. Same verse. It says, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah. Scripture somebody. Giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Fresh start. See, the, it, it, it was we, it was our fault. We made people feel. And you know what? When you feel that God is angry with you, you also feel God is angry with other people. Because people who feel they are condemned are those who actually judge people. I've seen a lot of people who come to church and their first disposition is to judge you. Just because you don't look like me doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. Talk to me, somebody. Our model, our methods might change, but the message does not change. The Christ in you is not wearing jeans and the Christ in another person is wearing chad. The Christ in you is not wearing suit and tie. And the Christ in you, my brother, is, is wearing studs. Come on, bro. So, back then, in the generation where we're coming from, religious people will look at him and say he's a sinner. How can you wear earring in the house of God? Do you want the fire of God to burn you? Who are you to wear earrings? Do you know that, have you realized that God actually has more important things to <laughs> to deal with than your conversation of if I next week I'm going to put one star on. <laughs> Look at all the people who are waiting for story. So when you saw someone like this you know, the fact that someone doesn't have your form doesn't mean that you are more spiritual than the person. Doesn't mean so. So you see a guy who has a dread. A guy, a, a, I've seen people who look very decent. And inside them is like dead men bones. Let's be delivered from religion. Love you, man. Keep wearing your stars. He put a bounce to it. Somebody say hallelujah. The correctness of a doctrine is when it is consistent with Christ. Not when it looks like what you want people to look like. We must stay off religion. You know, Pastor Toluko, I asked him a question one day. How do you know when people grow spiritually and he told me when they begin to talk differently this was two weeks ago that was what you said to me and I said to him this is so key because when I teach the mind of Christ I'm teaching because I don't want outward modification I want inward transformation how do I know that your lives are being transformed when you begin to talk differently when you begin to do things differently and when you begin to see things differently, that's how I know there is a transformation going on. I see people who come to church and your first, your, your first reaction, you are the loudest, you are the, that is, you are the braggadocious est. They are boastful. And I'm not talking about boastful over things that are not godly. 
I'm talking about boastful over things that God has used them to do. But when maturity begins to set in, you see that they begin to talk less. When you have gone through the breakings and the makings, some of you judge because you don't know somebody else's pain. You never know what you can do when you are in someone else's shoes. And what I teach you is that if you understand the mind of Christ, you will come to that place where you understand that you see people through the color and the lenses of what Christ has done for them. Not your judgmental spirit. I don't like judgmental people. I love them in Christ, but I don't like them. It was a day I walked up somewhere and I said, I'm a pastor. You know, the society just makes you feel that you being a pastor is not something. I mean, I was in the hospital one day and I was doing my work. And one of my consultants said to me, Phil, <laughs> are you a pastor or you are a doctor? It was a mocking statement because it seemed to me as though I didn't have clarity of purpose that how would I throw medicine away and follow this thing called pastor. The society has expectations of you to be in a certain way. But if you know the purpose and God's calling over your life, stay with it. Stay with it. Today, none of my colleagues who are doctors are in doubt of the hand of God upon my life. And I, I, when people ask me, are you a pastor? The next thing they, they say, they, they, they're waiting for something else. Now, pastor I be. Finish. So the next question will be, and what do you do? I reply, I said, I'm a pastor, is what I do. So the, the, the norm, the ideal is that, so how do you feed? And guess what? I'm a pastor and I'm not stealing church money. No. Instead, we are being a blessing to people. We are not those types. The fact that there are so many fakes doesn't mean that there is no original. In fact, the, the proof that there is original is when you see fake. Have you ever seen a fake $2,000 note? Why? Because you can't see an original. Don't let anybody shift your perspective of what you know God has called you to be and do. Just because you were born in a kind of family that goes in a way that goes contradistinctive, which is in keeping to God's purpose for your life, you must stay with purpose and stay there. Somebody say amen. amen. May God deliver the church and the body of Christ. That we will not have the form of godliness and deny the power thereof. We will not, we will not be of the ideals and the values of Christ, right? And put on Saul's armor at the same time. No. God said to Moses, he said to Moses, strike the rock. That was the first time. Moses struck the rock. And what happened? Water began to come out from the rock. And because of the spirit of religion, Moses felt that if, if he did it before, bah, 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 he can do it again. If he did it before. So, Moses felt that because water came out of the rock the first time when he struck the rock, it is the same way water we came out again. The second time. And what did God ask Moses to do? He said, speak this time. He said, don't strike the rock. Speak this time. You can see a type and shadow. The striking of the rock. The Bible says that that rock was Christ. Ooh. He said, that rock was Christ. 
So the first time was the striking of the rock, which is the crucifixion of Jesus, where Jesus was smitten. He was struck for your infirmities. He was bruised for your infirmities. That was the first striking of the rock, and water came out. Then the second time, God said, Moses, don't strike, but speak. Moses said, no, the spirit of religion, let me do it the way I know it. And Moses took the rod and he struck. Guess what? Water still came out. The fact that you are getting results doesn't mean it's correct. Water still came out. And what did God say? Because you have not honored me. Because you have dishonored me. Because you have not stayed in keeping. The Bible says that Moses broke faith with God. If you see another scripture, another version. And what is the, the, the symbol of speaking to that rock? It means that in the New Testament, we're not going to strike Jesus the second time. For the word of faith is nigh thee in thy mouth. That when you speak, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we're not supposed to strike the second time. Now we're to speak. The spirit of religion. Somebody's asking, why is the society not any different? We have the largest churches in Nigeria true we have the largest churches in africa true we are the most religious people why don't we see the impact in the society i tell you the reason is simple because even though we may have the largest churches and the largest congregation we don't have the largest proclamations of the gospel because it is the gospel that is the power of god unto salvation not religion that's why we have so many people who go to church, but because of the spirit of religion, they go and they come out. Nothing, won't, nothing passes through them. May we be delivered from the spirit of religion. That we will not have the form of godliness and deny the power thereof. We are called to be the ambassadors of Christ in this generation. Is somebody hear what I'm saying? So you are that man. You are that blessed woman. Who am I talking to here? You are that blessed woman here who is carrying the power of the gospel. You are that blessed man here who is carrying the power of the gospel resident in your spirit. And you are about to deliver to your generation. You are about to deliver to your, you are about to show your impact to your world. This world has not seen you coming, but you are coming and you would overtake. You would take over the systems and the sectors of men. I don't know what you do, but guess what? What you do is not the end. What you do is a means to an end. What is the end? Kingdom kingdom. When you begin to think kingdom, you understand perspective of why God has called you to do what you do. So the spirit of religion, we bind it from the body of Christ. And from now, we will begin to see the display of the power of God. Talk to me somebody. We'll begin to see the display of the power of God. Now we're going to pray serious prayers this morning, okay? Put up the, um, the um, what's it called? The identity checklist. We're going to lay hands on ourselves. You see, all those things that I said, that we are blessed, we are complete in Christ, we're going to pray it into our lives this morning. And in the next five minutes, all you are going to be doing is praying and prophesying on your path, that your path is blessed, your life is blessed. Everything about you is the, is the essence of the blessed man. Everything about you is the product of the blessed man. Are you guys ready to pray? So we're going to lift up our voices while you're seated down. You don't have to stand. If you want to stand, that's fine. But just open your mouth and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost right now, wherever you are. Just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost right now. Pray in the Holy Ghost. We're already done. We're already closing. Just begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Begin to pray in the Holy Ghost.
Bible says, Blessed be God, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Oh, hallelujah. You are blessed. You are blessed. You are complete in Christ. 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 You are blessed. You are blessed. Now, you decree it and declare it. I am blessed. I am blessed. And because I'm blessed, everything I do prospers. Because I'm blessed, everything I touch prospers. Because I'm blessed, everything that I am will manifest the blessings of God. Because I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I'm a blessed man. The blessed man cannot be disadvantaged. You cannot be disadvantaged. Why? Because you carry the blessing. Lay your hands on yourself. Come on, pray the Holy Ghost right now. Pray in the Holy Ghost church. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Concludes this message. Thank you for listening and for more information about the Standpoint Church, visit our social media platform on www.facebook.com slash standpointabj, twitter.com slash standpointabj, instagram.com slash standpointabj, and on soundcloud.com slash standpointabj.